Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Today's Indo-Daily is brought to you from our sister podcast, The Bell Tell. In the last episode of Killing Edgar. Edgar Graham was a law lecturer at Queen's University. He was gunned down as he walked to work just a few yards from the law faculty. As I walked up, Edgar was coming down there and he crossed to me and... uh, All of a sudden, I heard a shot, and this person stood up on that wall, pumping the gun fire into him. I heard the shots and went to the door. The person I saw coming towards me was Dermot, and Dermot had Edgar's blood on him. The police believe it was a well-planned assassination. Well, obviously, it would appear as if they knew who they were looking for, and certainly it would appear as if they intended to shoot a particular person. There was a fear in some elements of republicanism that a form of new unionist voices who were more moderate was maybe a greater threat to them in one sense. The police said to me, if they had known you were an elected unionist academic, they might have taken you out just for the two for the price of one. They gave me a personal protection weapon, but I remember the police said to me, if they're out to get you, they'll get you. Coming up in this episode... We talked to a member of the Graham family about the impact of Edgar's murder. He says there's a, there's a man shot dead outside Queen's University, the name of Edgar Graham, and that's the first I heard of it. If he'd lived, would his politics have shaped a different Northern Ireland? Edgar would have been a leader of unionism, and he survived. And the only reason why David became a leader of unionism, and he would say to himself, won the Nobel Peace Prize, etc., was Edgar's death. And I tracked down the academic colleague of Edgar Graham, accused of setting him up for murder. David, David, I'm here to ask you some questions about the murder of Edgar Graham. Can we go see the grave? Certainly, yeah. Born on the 24th of February 1954. Killed the 7th of December 1983. Keep alive the light of justice. And that's the same sort of wee statements on the Owen Stormont. Yeah. If you walk into the council, the chamber, you yep. see it on your left hand side. There you are. I'm at Edgar Graham's grave at Dunneen Presbyterian Church in rural County Antrim. I'm here with his cousin, Brian Graham, to get a sense of the impact this murder had on the Graham family. 
I've been here quite a few times in the last few years, especially on the 7th of December, the, the date he was murdered. Yeah. You know, it brings everything back about 40 years ago, Colin, and I remember as if it was yesterday, so I do. And I remember in my job as a postman, I'd done a delivery between Antrim and Ballymena, and I was coming down that man's house, and I got out of the van, gave him the letters, and then he said to me, Brian, did you hear the news today? I says, no, I didn't. He says, there's a, there's a man shot dead outside Queen's University, by the name of Edgar Graham. Was he any relation of yours? I says, he's my cousin. And that's the first I heard of it. In them days, there's no mobile phones, no radios in the vans or nothing, you know. Do you remember how you felt? Well, I had to, when I got back into the van again, I had to sit for five or ten minutes and take it all in. And obviously, you didn't hear more about it until you read the paper the next day or heard it in the news that night or whatever, you know. And then, of course, after that, funeral and all the rest of it. The service itself was private, but the church hall too was crowded to hear a relay of the Reverend Dr. Alan Macaloney giving the main address, speaking personally of Edgar Graham. He was unafraid to speak the truth as he saw it, despite the risks that he knew he was running, and those risks were considerable. He condemned violence in every form, and it was that shameful violence that took his own life. There are no words... The presence of many leading political figures meant strong police protection kept discreet to meet the family's wishes. Edgar Graham's funeral took place in Randallstown several days after his murder. You didn't go to that funeral. Why? Well, I didn't go because I purposefully lay low. I made it clear. I didn't give my name. I didn't do an interview. And some of the papers I noted reported that he was standing talking to a colleague, I think was the the nearest it got. Uh, There may have been one paper, may have mentioned, but I purposefully lay low, not out of disrespect, but because I had to go back to Queen's and I was a unionist representative and I was extremely nervous because it wasn't your work wasn't behind a desk in a room where you could do it, lock the door. Your work was standing in front of maybe 150 people, knowing where you were standing and knowing when you were standing. And that was quite a different environment to lots of jobs. So I lay low. Someone who was at the funeral was Wallace Thompson, who'd lived with Edgar. Well, I was overwhelmed with grief completely. I remember sitting in the balcony... Uh, just, we were young, and he was, he was 29. Um, we were, I mean, life lay before us, and I thought that, you know, this young man who, who was our friend from, from 10 years before, was suddenly gone, I've just brought it home to him. And this was happening all the time to people, that people were being killed left day and daily, but it affected us. It was the closest it's ever come to me. Miriam's cousin was murdered in the police in 76 in Fermanagh, uh, but as far as I was concerned, the closest, the closest bereavement that I had was Edgar's. At today's graduation, the Vice-Chancellor paid tribute to Edgar Graham, who lectured at Queen's. He said the ultimate irony was that as a constitutional lawyer, Mr. Graham was denied those rights which his teachings so stoutly defended. But he said Mr. Graham knew the risks he was taking. 
It was an appalling hazard of his profession. The funeral was told that Edgar had discussed his funeral arrangements with his father a few months earlier. He knew his life was in threat. In fact, he'd cryptically referred to his looming death in a stormant debate just weeks before he was killed. That day, he refused to say who he was talking about. Only later did it make sense. Reverend Martin Smith, I would have liked today, Mr. Speaker, that the minister coming to this house to make the statement would have been in a position, even at such short notice, to tell us why the security forces, having been made aware of an imminent attack upon a prominent unionist, and having been made aware personally by me that the most vulnerable member was Edgar Graham, no action was taken to provide that necessary protection that now has been proved to be needful. Wallace, was he security conscious? Was he worried? He must have known when he made his comments about the special category status and so on that he was playing with fire, you know, that there are people who on the both sides, a bit like the inspector, what do you call him, he was, was shot there recently and then John, John Caldwell. Uh, John Caldwell. And he was making enemies on both sides and then Edgar was gonna be a wee bit to see him, you know, that he was he was vulnerable. And I suppose just by the job he was doing at university and going to his lectures he was very much you know, they could have followed his timetable and somebody inside could have because I mean those places as you know law faculty and all would have had insiders willing to report out the movements. So uh, but uh, you know, he would have been aware of the danger, I don't have no doubt about that. Dean Godson says that Edgar's friends recalled he was more afraid of assassination by loyalists than by Republicans, having opposed the separation of prisoners in the Mays prison and spoken forcefully in defence of supergrass trials, which at that point threatened to decimate paramilitary organisations. An informer or a supergrass is the ideal weapon for breaking up an organised crime. And I do remember thinking he was in danger, you know, before it, because there were a number of comments made in different magazines, and sort of a loyalist paramilitary magazine who sort of said he needs to be very careful. Um, so there was a bit of a build-up to it. On the 16th of November 1983, less than a month before Edgar Graham was murdered, he rose to his feet in the Stormont Assembly Chamber. The words that he used that day brought the Assembly to a hush. He said... I am reluctant to refer to it because it is an extremely serious matter, but I make the allegation, knowing it to be extremely serious, that earlier this year, a Republican terrorist organisation approached a loyalist terrorist organisation with the objective of asking it to eliminate a leading member of the official Unionist Party. Dermot, do you know where he got the information that his life was in danger? No idea, but again, that was something I knew at the time. And um, David Trimble wasn't elected at that time, but he was he had been prior, and he was an active political animal, but not elected. As I say, Edgar and I were the only two unionist elected members of staff. I was in the council, he was in the, in the assembly at Stormont. In 2005, David Trimble's biographer, Dean Godson, said, the gunmen are still at large today and their identity is widely known. Did you ever hear who the killers were or try to look for their names? Short answer, no. As I said, I just tried to move on. I was fighting it mentally, but I wasn't getting involved in it. 
and therefore I had to move on. I had to do my work at Queen's. I couldn't bypass that. But I repeat what I said earlier. I remember the first time I went to a conference across the water in England. That was the first time I felt relaxed. And it's only when you feel relaxed do you realize how nervous you were when you were at home. And because I was nervous and what have you and having to do what I had to do, I didn't get involved. No. I asked Brian, Edgar's cousin, the same question. Have you ever been told or tried to find out who was involved in the murder? Well, I've heard a few names floating about, but I better not mention them. <laughs> you never know what come ahead of you, but... Uh... Is it, is it important to you to know that, or is it something you think that at this point it's best to just move on? Well, maybe some of the ones that have been involved have maybe passed on themselves. Who knows? Some of them can still be involved in politics. Which I wouldn't dispute, so I wouldn't. I've been told a few names here and there, but it's obviously... If names had been floating about, they'd have been up in court and jail and all the rest of it, but it hasn't happened, so there's no point in me floating names about and somebody coming back to me and taking me to court. No one has ever been charged with Edgar Graham's murder. However, two recent Queen's graduates were convicted of related offences. Brendan James Anthony Kerr, who was 23, pleaded guilty to withholding information about the murder, having a firearm and ammunition, and making petrol bombs. James Joseph Morrison, who was also 23, pleaded guilty to withholding information about the murder and making petrol bombs. Both got suspended sentences, so neither ever went to jail. But one other name that has been linked to the murder is far more shocking. A fellow law lecturer at Queen's, David Ewans. David Trimble named this man under parliamentary privilege in the House of Commons in 1995. There will therefore be scores of cases which the police have not been able to clear up, which hopefully in the future they will be able to clear up. Uh, And we saw a clear example of of cases like that with the television programme a few weeks ago featuring a a Mr Eamon Collins, uh, in which that man boasted boasted of his work uh, in terms of setting people up for murder uh, when he was active on behalf of the IRA Uh, and the programme went into detail of the the incident where uh, Mr Collins set up the the Lord Chief Justice the then Lord Chief Justice, now Lord Larry an attack was made on him unfortunately the programme which identified uh, not just Mr Eamon Collins as being responsible for that but also a former academic colleague of mine by the name of uh, David Ewings. Uh, The programme didn't, however, go on to refer to the other incidents that Mr Ewings uh, was involved in, including the murder of the political and academic colleague of mine, Mr Edgar Graham. Uh, Mr Collins and Mr Ewings, although Mr Ewings is an Englishman, he's now domiciled in Dublin for some reason, uh, which isn't too hard to speculate as to what it is. One hopes that at some stage they will become amenable for those cases. Uh, And... Thinking of their present whereabouts in Dublin makes one think about uh, extradition. A former senior special branch detective has told this podcast that David Ewans first came to police attention when IRA man Eamon Collins, who later turned on his colleagues, named him in connection with IRA activity. 
Ewan's moved from Belfast to Dublin around this time, and the former officer said that after Collins was in custody in 1985, the police had gone to the extent of getting the Metropolitan Police in London to monitor the home of David Ewan's parents, lest he come back into the UK. When asked why Ewan's had not been extradited, the former officer said that extradition in this era was almost impossible because of how the Irish authorities viewed what they saw as political offences. But in Ewan's case, there was the extra hurdle that they didn't even have evidence to charge him and he was no more than a suspect. Eamon Collins was murdered by the IRA in 1999. David Ewan's is still living openly in Dublin and is lecturing in jurisprudence at Dublin Business School. I've written to him to ask for his response to the allegations against him and contacted his head of faculty to ensure that he got my message. I went down to his home in Lusk, just north of Dublin, to see what he has to say. I've just arrived outside the home of David Ewans in Lusk, just north of Dublin. I was here earlier today, no one answered the door, but I really want to talk to him if I can possibly get hold of him. I see now that there's a light on, it's dark, so someone is in the house. Let's see if he's going to talk. Hello, David. Hi. Uh, no, it's Sam McBride from Belfast Telegraph, David. David? David, I'm here to ask you some questions about the murder of Edgar Graham. David? So, David Ewans is in this house. I can see him through the window here. He's just come to the door, but it's clear that he is most reluctant to even engage with me at all. When I got back to Belfast, I emailed David Ewans with a final request for comment. To my surprise, the following day he replied in what are his only direct comments on the accusations in the 40 years since Edgar Graham's murder. This is what David Ewans said. I categorically deny that there is any truth in the allegations to which you refer. I would simply add the following observation. I note that you do not refer to the killings of Queen's staff and students by Unionist terrorists. Miriam Daly, a former colleague of mine, albeit in a different faculty, in 1980, and Sheena Campbell, a law student, in 1992. There was also the attempted murder of Professor Adrian Guelke by Unionist terrorists in 1991. I do not recall seeing articles in the Belfast Telegraph on the 40th and 30th anniversaries respectively of the murders of Miriam Daly and Sheena Campbell, but then I must confess that I am not an avid reader of the Belfast Telegraph. If any such articles did appear, I would be grateful if you could supply me with the appropriate references. Incidentally, as you may know, Miriam Daly is buried not far from where you were last night. When the comment from the former special branch officer was put to David Ewans, he said, I would simply remind you that the organisation to which this senior figure belonged has been thoroughly discredited. In particular, as I'm sure you're aware, it is now widely accepted that it was involved in numerous murders committed by unionist terrorists. Notably, particularly relevant in this context, the murders of Patrick Finucane in 1989 and Rosemary Nelson in 1999. On the claims made about me by Eamon Collins, I would simply reiterate that there is no truth in such claims. I do not feel inclined to speculate about his motivation or psychological state when he made such claims. 
In his comments, David Ewens refers to unionist terrorists and to murder of Republicans at Queen's, but he expressed no regret over his colleague's death. In a statement on the day of Edgar Graham's murder, the IRA said, This should be a salutary lesson to those loyalists who stand foursquare behind the laws and forces of oppression of the nationalist people. What do you make of that? I don't agree with it. I know there were problems previously, you know, a Protestant state and a Protestant population, and there was the feeling of that, and therefore the laws were there, but there there were many changes and progression, but there could be much more and should be much more, which there hasn't been. So I can understand that analysis they put as one would say, walk on the other man's shoes, and you can see how they can say that, though I don't entirely agree with it. Note I use the word entirely, because there could be difficulties as they rightly articulated. Two days after the murder, Sinn Féin President Gerry Adams was snubbed by the mayor of Galway and by a local priest. At a news conference, Adams was asked about the murder, He said those who cried crocodile tears for Mr. Graham were muted in their response to the killing of two IRA men by the SAS. Jerry Adams said that that those who were those who were 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 annoyed about his death were crying crocodile tears. And I remember saying they weren't crocodile tears, they were real tears. And that was a very unfeeling and and callous thing to come out with. Um, But uh, maybe he regretted it afterwards, I don't know. But that lack of apology, and that's, that's across the board, that's one of the big issues again, that's the, the whole legacy stuff, and we could talk for days about that. In attempting to justify the young law lecturer's murder, the IRA claimed that he rejoiced in the assassination of Republicans, and went on to say, let the loyalist politicians who make the ammunition for the British Army, UDR and RUC to fire, understand and realise that they cannot escape the repercussions of their incitement to murder and repression. But even Republicans now seem embarrassed by what the IRA did that day. We invited Sinn Féin to be interviewed for this podcast, but they didn't respond. Sinn Féin candidates in recent years who have had links to Queen's Law Faculty have on some occasions been asked if they condemn the murder of somebody who had been a law lecturer in that faculty and they've they've tended to say something general a phrase like we regret all troubles deaths um, but nobody from Sinn Féin has been prepared to come out and say that regardless of their views of the troubles as a whole or whether the troubles were justified or the IRA were, were, were in any way justified that this particular murder is in retrospect, at least to them, if not at the time, clearly indefensible. What do you think of that and how how significant is that 40 years after the event? Yes, it is indefensible, the murder of a civilian. Never mind that he's a law lecturer, because sometimes, and I don't even agree with their argument, they say it was a war and therefore we're shooting soldiers, we're shooting policemen, soldiers are shooting us, uniformed people. I I don't agree with that, but I'm saying uh, that's an argument they make whereas Edgar was a civilian. He wasn't a member of any institution that would have any way at all justified what they did. So there is no way I can accept their sort of uh, ambiguity when they're asked that question. 
Two people were later convicted of withholding evidence in relation to Edgar Graham's murder, but his killers have never been jailed. And under the Conservative government's plans, that now will never happen. They will effectively get an amnesty for that. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't think they should get an amnesty if they are known as having done it. Uh, this is the problem with this amnesty bill. Uh, all sides are, are against it. I'm not involved in the in the in the niceties of the arguments, if I can put it that way. But I certainly don't think they should get an amnesty. Though I'm conscious there was a lot of protest about prisoners being released at the time of the 1998 Belfast Agreement, which in a sense is like an amnesty. All I can say is when peace prevailed after the the previous insurrection, if you can call it that, in the 52-56 period, prisoners were released subsequent to that as well. So therefore this aspect, and a lot of talk was made about that against us who were for the agreement. Oh, you're letting the prisoners out. Sorry, that happened before. This is not new. We're trying to move forward, not to look back. But then when I say move forward, not look back, I still feel if someone or other is known to have committed that murder, they should at least be in court. They may get a minimal sentence, they may get something else, but at least they should be held to account through the judicial process. The journalist Henry MacDonald later wrote that Edgar had been, quote, the darling of the Ulster Unionist Party. Although not yet 30, he was already a leading light, having risen rapidly from chairman of the Young Unionists in 1981 to become the Ulster Unionist Party's honorary secretary a year later. On the day of Edgar Graham's murder, Jim Mullineau, who was the Ulster Unionist Party leader at that point, told reporters, had Mr. Graham not been murdered, he would have become the leader of our party. Such was his calibre. David Trimble said the same thing, making clear that when he became leader, it was only because Edgar Graham had not lived. Looking back now, have you any doubts about the fact that he would have been leader of unionism? It's very hard to guess where somebody will be in 10 or 15 years' time, but have you ever questioned whether that would actually have happened? No, I don't doubt it could have happened. I wouldn't say it would have happened. Uh, And don't get me wrong when I say this, quite often when people are deceased, uh, pleasant words are said about them. Now, I'm not so sure that if he'd lived, would David Trimble have competed against him? Would he have tried to say, no, I'm the one should be leader, not him, John Taylor, because they were both MPs in certain places. So um, it is more easy to say it of a deceased person. I emphasize for the second time that's not taking away at all from Edgar. But I also said, as I said earlier, articulation, competency, knowledge, communication skills, and all those that were required to be a very competent politician. Not all competition, competent politicians become leaders. In fact, it could be argued some leaders aren't very competent, but we'll not go into that. I asked Wallace Thompson and Alex Keane the same question. Would Edgar Graham have one day led unionism? I think Edgar could have gone on to have been a unionist party leader. I think others would have said the same. That's not a view that you know that would just be my view. I think he had the ability and the the noose to do that. I think he would also supported the power sharing initiatives of David Trumbull um, and would have gone along with that. Now again, I may be wrong, but I'd be very surprised if it was. And he would have been quite open to change. I do know that had Edgar lived, and David Trumbull even said it himself in a, a major um, 
UUC council meeting in, in, in November, I think it was 1999, he said that had Edgar lived, he thought it would probably have been Edgar who would have been leader of the party by then, because Edgar, long, long, long before some what became Ulster Union's you like liberal moderate thinking, Edgar was there long, long before that. And I think that's why you can never tell because he wasn't there. But I think I think he would have made a hugely significant contribution to unionism. One person who has a unique perspective on this is Lord Bew. He was an academic colleague of both Edgar Graham and David Trimble at Queen's University, and he would go on to become a key advisor to David Trimble around the time of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. You knew David Trimble very well. How significant was Edgar Graham's death to Trimble? Um, very significant. I used to see them all the time, the pair of them chatting. And sometimes they'd come over and chat to me, uh, um, you know, about a book they just read or some recent event. But I'd see them all. I did a massive effect on David. And David always said Edgar would be the... the, the um, that, 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 that Ed, Edgar would have been a leader of unionism had he survived. And the only reason why David became a leader of unionism and he would say to himself, won the Nobel Peace Prize, etc., was Edgar's death. And he number of times said that. It's obviously very difficult to know what somebody who was 29 would have done when they were much older in life as a politician. But based on what you knew of Edgar Graham, what sort of political leader do you think he would have been had he become leader of the Unionist Party? I mean, I, I really, um, it's horrible to say, in a way the IRA got it right. That first of all, intelligence and self, intellectual self-confidence matters a lot, especially in this process. Um, I'm going back to, you know, how do you read the framework document? How do you read uh, the, the Good Friday Agreement? You need people, and quite often legal skills are important, which David did have. There was a unionism was lucky that had a duplication there. I don't have any doubt that he would have done exactly the same thing for exactly the same reasons. Because David Trimble's reasons going through the Good Friday Agreement were heavily encased in certain types of legal argument which Edgar would have shared. So I really think I've no doubt that he would have been in the same place there. It's now almost 40 years after that day. What has been the impact of that day on your life? I feel I'm very fortunate. But he died, I lived. And we were... And I've been involved in politics since then. I've been on the Standing Advisor for Human Rights. I've been in the Equality Commission. I've been in the talks process. I've been in government. I've had children, grandchildren. And I think how fortunate... I am what he did not have. And it crosses my mind, not infrequently, that uh, there but for events maybe go I, as the saying is. Uh, And therefore, it lives with me, but it doesn't live with me every day. But it's one of those things that if I reflect on it, I say, I am fortunate. Forty years on from Edgar Graham's murder, it's impossible to be entirely sure what he would have done as a politician. His name is remembered in the Edgar Graham Memorial Public Speaking Competition for school children. There is a law room named after him at Queen's University. And there's a very prominent memorial plaque to him in the members' lobby at Stormont, which bears the simple words, Keep alive the light of justice. 
almost everyone agrees that he would have been a major figure both legally and politically. And yet our view of who Edgar Graham might have become has to be tempered by the knowledge that politicians can change fundamentally over their lifetimes. David Trimble was, for much of his career, seen as a hardliner, but he was the man who led unionism to its generational compromise with nationalism in the Good Friday Agreement. The day after Edgar Graham's murder, Ian Paisley told the House of Commons, There will be no coming together of the people I represent and Gerry Adams. Let no one in the House suggest that there could be a reconciliation between a man with those principles and views and those whom I represent in the House. And yet Ian Paisley ended up doing a deal with Gerry Adams. He finished his political career laughing and joking with Martin McGuinness, a former IRA commander. Politics can transform society, but it can also transform political leaders. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Sam McBride, and Graham Davidson. Clips were from UTV, the BBC, and RTE. We're offering Indo Daily listeners 50% off an Irish independent digital subscription. Head over to independent.ie forward slash redeem to sign up for unlimited access to premium content, e-paper, puzzles and more. Just enter the code INDO, that's I-N-D-O, to receive 50% off your subscription. Stay informed and engage. Subscribe today.